Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back, friends, to this podcast. Happy April to you. I hope it is warmer where you are than it is here in Chicago this morning in the 20s with snow on the ground. But be that as it may, we will go forth with this podcast. And uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series here at our church called FaceTime. We're exploring friendship and loneliness. And so today I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke. Um, This is chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. This is a fairly well-known story about the resurrected Christ appearing to some of his followers. So hear these words. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself and all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. May God's blessing be on the reading and living out of this word. So in the mid-1990s, when I was a seminary student, I did a brief internship at the University of Chicago Rockefeller Chapel, which was one of the offices that did religious life for students at the University of Chicago. One of the things that I did there was reach out to other people at the University of Chicago who worked with students, and I was particularly interested in those who were working with students and doing service-type projects. So as I was talking with my supervisors in the office, they said, well, you should go see this one woman who works in the student affairs office, and she does some work. And they said, they were describing her to me, and they said, she's married to this state senator uh, in Illinois, and I've always been interested in politics, so I read a little bit about the state senator and about her, and I thought, well, this would be interesting. 
So I went over and met her and talked with her and helped to put together this small little service project. And I then saw her a couple of times on campus after that, and we chatted briefly to, with each other. And I thought how, how nice she was and how impressive she was. And you may be picking up on who I am talking about. This state senator that she was married to, of course, was Barack Obama. You may have heard of him. And his wife, Michelle. So I've always, of course, or I should say I never fail to find an opportunity to tell people that I know Michelle Obama because people are always somewhat impressed with that. I've never gone so far as to say, oh, we are so close. We are such good friends. I think she might remember me today. I'm not 100% sure. In my mind, of course, she will remember me or would remember me. But it's interesting because Michelle Obama, of course, is this icon in our society. In 2015, Gallup did a poll of the most admired women in the world, and Michelle Obama was number four. And so she is known throughout the world. And so because of that, she probably, she kind of has this aura about her that people who don't know her uh, and if they meet her, they're kind of wowed by it's Michelle Obama. But because of the interaction I had with her 20 years ago now, she's never seemed so uh, celebrity-ish because of the interaction. Of course, again, I, don't, I didn't know her real well, but I had a couple of interactions with her, and so I feel like I know her. And because of that, I'm not overwhelmed by the presence of Michelle, Michelle Obama. Have you ever had a brush with someone like that? Someone maybe famous? Uh, And this is more than just taking a selfie with somebody, but a relationship of sorts. And because you know them, their fame perhaps doesn't overwhelm you. Well, I thought about that, I guess you call it relationship that I have with Michelle Obama this week, as I was reflecting on the focus of this sermon as it relates to this series that I mentioned earlier called FaceTime, Overcoming Loneliness Together. Last week, I talked about the courage that it takes to start a relationship or friendship with someone else. Today, I want to talk uh, about some of the same things, except I want to explore what it means to be in a relationship, a friendship even, with God. Now, on the one hand, that kind of conversation and language may seem familiar to you. So, what a friend we have in Jesus, of course, is a familiar hymn to many. And yet, it may also seem odd because our conception of God may be somewhat distant and just not real. We may have these images of who God is from popular culture or from art or from our own imaginations or from the little paintings they have in your Bibles, all of these things. So God may seem almost like a celebrity of sorts, so has this kind of aura around who God is, and we may not really feel like we could ever be in that kind of relationship with God. We have lots of pictures maybe of God, we read articles, but it seems impossible that you could actually establish a relationship, a friendship with someone that you only read about. Relationship, maybe, but friendship? Can you be friends with God? It may seem a little weird to you. And yet, I believe that's exactly what God desires, because so many of the things that we treasure in a friendship with someone else is what God desires in that kind of relationship, too. And this is the radical nature, I think, of what we sometimes call the incarnation, a fancy theological word that we usually use more often at Christmas time, because we talk about the whole notion of God, the creator of the world, the creator of the universe, Christians believe, 
becoming flesh, spanning that enormous gap between what we may picture as God, creator, somewhere, someone, I should say, out there somewhere, and yet now is here and personal and in relationship. That's the radical nature of incarnation. One of my favorite books I've ever read is a book called The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything by James Martin, who's a Jesuit priest. And there's a chapter in that book called Friendship with God. And James Martin explores this whole notion of what it means to be friends with God and how that incarnation, how God becoming flesh, and so that we can have that close personal relationship can happen. And so he talks about what we are invited to do when we are in a relationship with God or in a friendship with God. And it's the same kinds of things, Martin mentions, that we desire when we are in a, in a friendship with somebody else. So he mentions, for example, that we are invited to spend time, to learn about the other, to be honest, to listen, to be willing to change if the relationship changes, and also to be silent. These are the kinds of qualities that we want in a friendship and These are the kinds of qualities that God wants in a relationship with us. God wants us to spend time. God wants us to to learn about who God is. God wants us to be honest, to listen, to, to learn about who God is, to be silent in God's presence as well. All of these things. These are qualities that we want in our friendships, and these are qualities that we want in our relationship with God as well. And I think it makes it easier for us as Christians because if we believe that Jesus, that Jesus is the one who is God made flesh, which we celebrate every Christmas. This is God made flesh, God being in our midst, walking with us, eating with us, laughing with us, crying with us, all of these things. This is God and this is Jesus. And this is the kind of relationship that Jesus had with others in his midst too. And the Gospel of John is particularly adamant that when we see Jesus, we see the divine. We see God. So we can learn a lot about being friends with God to see how we can be friends with Jesus and how he was friends with others. We see this, John 15, 15. This is part of the story that John tells in Jesus' last night with his followers, what we call the Last Supper. And in John 15, verse 15, he says this, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But, Jesus says, I have called you friends. Because I've made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Jesus is calling his followers friends. And so therefore, I think what John is trying to get across is we also can have this same kind of relationship with God as well. Because Jesus is God. We get a hint of this throughout the Gospels, the way Jesus spends his time with others as he's listening and as he's honest with each other, as I mentioned earlier, and some of the characteristics that James Martin lists. We see that in today's passage from Luke, too. This is the resurrected Christ. Now, notice what he does with these two individuals, these two followers of Jesus. Notice what they do. They spend time with one another. They learn about what was to have happened. You notice here that the resurrected Christ begins to unpack the scriptures to these two individuals. So they are learning about what happened and who Jesus is. They walk with one another. 
They have a meal together. These are all things that friends do with one another. And this is what the resurrected Christ does with these two followers of Jesus. Now, they don't know, of course, at first that it is Jesus. And yet still, I think we can learn so much from what happens in this relationship and the kind of relationship that we can have with the resurrected Christ here today. So the question for us is then, do we want this relationship? Are we in the position to ask for it? Notice verse 29 in this passage. And they urged him strongly, stay with us. They want to continue. Again, they don't know who this really is, but maybe they have a sense that this is somebody very unique and we can't quite put our finger on it and their eyes aren't opened until they break the bread and they finally see who it is. And then later they realize, weren't our hearts burning within us? Maybe they say to themselves, we should have known something was up here. But they make a specific invitation. They urged him strongly, stay with us. So we have to ask ourselves, do we want this kind of relationship with God? Do we want this kind of relationship with Christ? And if we do, I believe not only do we put ourselves in his presence, not just once, but every day saying, I want this relationship with you, Lord. And not only do we imagine that we are received by Christ in this way, but also I think we are called to make the invitation too, to urge Christ strongly, stay with me. That's the kind of things that friends do with one another. Good friends, honest friends. You know, I mentioned last week that it's weird, a little weird at times for adults to make new friends and to maybe make this kind of ask. A few months ago, I was um, in the process of trying to figure out what would happen when when Trey Hall, who was the co-founder of Urban Village, was going to leave and I was going to be the, the sole lead pastor of Urban Village and what that meant. And I wanted to chat with other people who are pastors of multi-site churches. And so I was trying to see who I could talk to. And there's uh, one person who lives in the Chicago area who is the pastor of a, a co-lead pastor of a multi-site church. And so I reached out to him and he's pretty well known in church planting circles. He's written some books. And so I was a little intimidated to reach out to him because I didn't know if he would want to spend time with uh, somebody who wasn't quite in the same league. Uh, but I reached out and we had lunch and we had a lot in common. And so it was great. And uh, I, I kind of felt like I want to spend more time with him, but I don't quite feel like we are the same. He's helping run this church that's been going for years. And, it's, and when you say successful, and as far as numbers go, it's so much more successful, has a bigger impact than what Urban Village has, even though I know Urban Village has an impact too. And so I, it just felt awkward. Again, that same thing I talked about last week, do I... How do I ask him, like, I want to spend more time with you? Do I go out and just say, I want to be your friend? And I, I haven't. And I've kind of eased into it a little bit. I said, well, maybe we could have coffee sometimes. So we had coffee again a couple, three months later. And I said, it'd be great to have coffee every once in a while. So I'm trying to kind of slowly get to the point where maybe we could actually be called friends, but I'm taking my time in doing it, which is weird, right? I mean, it shouldn't be weird, but I'm acting as if it's weird. And Jesus, if we want a friendship with him, does not want it to be weird. He wants it to be natural. He wants us to be able to say, Lord, I want to have you in my life and I want to be your friend. I want you to be my friend so that I can do all of the things 
that James Martin mentioned, that I can spend time with you, that I can be honest with you, that I can share what's on my heart, that I can learn about you, that I can be quiet with all of the things that really good friends do with one another. This is what Jesus desires from us and with us. Sometimes I think when we, if we are on board with the whole notion of Jesus as friend, I think sometimes we see Jesus as more of a Facebook friend. Like we see him on our newsfeed every once in a while and we like some stuff that Jesus does and that's about the extent of it. And then maybe if at best we spend five minutes a day and then we go on with our lives. And Jesus would love a much deeper friendship relationship with that. Especially, I think, just the whole notion of spending time, like spending the boredom of our days, the stuff that doesn't seem to register. I think we may wonder sometimes, I don't think Jesus really wants to know what I had for lunch, or I don't think Jesus really wants to spend time with me and complaining about what are seemingly small things. And my answer always is, of course Jesus does. So much of what Jesus' relationship was with with his followers was the quote-unquote boring stuff of our lives. It's the whole notion of just spending time, spending time, the monotonous stuff. That's the stuff that Jesus desires to build that kind of friendship with him. A little more than a month ago, I I got a call from my dad early in the morning with some really disturbing news. And that was my uncle, John, had passed away uh, pretty suddenly. He was not old at all, only in his mid-60s. This is my dad's sister's husband. And I have memories of John. I was never particularly close with him. Uh, I was close with um, his children, my three cousins, all of whom are about my age. And I have memories. He was, John was a farmer and they lived on a farm in Southeast Iowa. And so I have some memories of spending time on that farm and spending time, especially with my cousins. And so I have memories of John just kind of being at family gatherings. I never had many long conversations with him. So I I knew him, but I didn't feel like I really knew him. And sadly, it wasn't until his death that I really realized what an impact he had on his community and on his family and the kinds of relationships that he had with uh, fellow farmers and fellow people who, who grew up where John grew up as well. And so I wrote an email to my Aunt Kathy this week, just reaching out to her. It's been about a month and just wanted her to know that I was thinking about her, praying for her, and wanted to, at, at the funeral and hearing stories, I, I learned about some relationships that John had, and I was speaking to her and wanted her to share more if she felt comfortable doing so. So she sent me back this email, and normally when I preach, I just kind of share, uh, I, I read the story and then just kind of share my own thoughts, but I want to read this email, part of this email that she sent to me verbatim, because I think it, it says so much about the importance of just spending time with others in relationships. And she said this, she said, John spent many mornings a week at the Westchester Grain Elevator. This was near where John farmed. And she said, only the busyness of spring planting, fall harvest, or a hauling job with the semi kept him away. And many times, even when he was hauling with the semi, he ended up there to weigh his load and to grab a quick cup of coffee. They were a very close-knit group, sharing coffee and birthday treats There weren't many political topics or local issues that they didn't discuss. It was not unusual for two of the local supervisors, the county sheriff, and one of the priests from the local Catholic church to stop by and get in on the conversation. The priest used to ride his bike out on a trail so that he would be in time to be there for the morning discussion. 
They respected each other's views, cared about each other deeply, and perhaps even changed their minds a time or two because of a particular viewpoint of one of their friends. There were no topics that were off-limits. To many, this would seem old-fashioned and a waste of time. To John, it was all about being with people and learning and loving and giving and taking with them. I love remembering John this way. And then she shared earlier, like a couple weeks ago, one of John's good farmer friends stopped by the where Kathy now lives by herself. And she said he came in and tears were just streaming down his face. And this guy and John spoke on the on the uh, several times a day on the phone, always checking in about what the weather was going to be like. And John would share with like, this is the weather that's coming your way and all these things. And and this guy walked into Kathy's kitchen and pulled out his cell phone and said, I keep waiting for that darn, darn John to call me. And then I realized he isn't going to call me ever again. And so Kathy was consoling him. And I think what the farmer was getting at, just what was breaking his heart was He's not able to spend time, just run-of-the-mill, normal conversations. And sometimes when we think about relationships or friendships, we think about those high moments, which are important to do. But hopefully we also remember just the everyday stuff that we have with our good friends, just being in each other's presence, just talking about what's going on in the world or what's going on with your kids or, you know, a good movie or a good book, all these, this is the good stuff of relationship. This, friends, this is what Jesus desires from us, just to spend time with us. That's what friendship with Jesus is all about. It's not just about crisis moments. It's that, or when we are full of gratitude and praise, it's certainly that. It's also the boring stuff of our lives. It's having this conversation with Jesus. And I think we're, we're called to figure out what's the best way, whether it's writing in your journal, like writing a letter to Jesus or imagining that you are just walking with Jesus on your way to the train or whatever it is, just talking and listening and spending time. This is what Jesus desires. Jesus desires to call us friends. And I think this is one of the main reasons why there is incarnation, why there is God made flesh, because this is God saying to us, I desire that kind of relationship with you as well. And so I hope we can get over any kind of awkwardness that we may have about sharing our lives, about being honest, about listening, about learning, all of those things, that we can get over that awkwardness and begin this kind of relationship with Jesus. Because when we do, this is the kind of friendship, I think, that helps us so much in our day-to-day lives. And I pray that you might have that kind of relationship with Jesus as well, because He definitely wants that relationship with you. May it be so. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening. As always, I'm happy to connect with you on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn. Email Chris at urbanvillagechurch.org. Grateful for all the ways that I am interacting with so many of you and I hope that you continue to reach out as well. 
I am going to be off next week, Sunday night. Uh, I'm speaking to you on April 9th. Tomorrow night, I'm off to England for 10 days. I'm helping to facilitate in a small way a pilgrimage in England, learning about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. And so I'll be gone, so I won't be preaching on April 17th. So I'll be off for a week, but I'll be back on April 24th, and we'll be speaking to you in a couple of weeks. Till then... May the peace of Christ, which I pray is so close to your heart, be strong with you. May the peace of Christ be yours. Amen.